It's great to be back here virtually this year with Duyo Live. Um, I appreciate having me on. And I'm excited to talk about this topic. This is actually the first time I've given this presentation. It's something that's come about, you know, over the course of the last, little over the last year or so. So with that, um, really, again, the talk here today is the frictionless selling system and really how we've gotten to a point where we've seen this process, our marketing into our sales, kind of the funnel work together where these deals have just come through and my, my CEO and I just, Andy Helko, we call them, you know, frictionless selling and kind of how that came to be. But first, I want to start off with everybody's favorite four-letter word. <laughs> and I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to stop my video so all the attention's on you. And this okay. is <laughs> All right. Should say it's essentially a four-digit <laughs> word, right? But this last year, 2020, it's been it's been crazy. So I went in and I was looking for a animation I can use and I typed in 2020 and this is what came up first. I think everyone would be in agreement with that. And then I searched for the word COVID. And of course we had you know, some <laughs> social distancing that came up and then other peculiar extreme measures like this. And then of course <laughs> we had the masks, right? So what a year, it's been crazy. And, and really it's been, you know, I understand it's been devastating for a lot of people in a lot of different ways and really unfortunate. Um, the reason I'm talking about friction with selling and I'm talking about this year is our approach, we, it did actually start when we went into this process of trying to take our marketing and, and make it work for the sales, pro work tying in, connecting with the sales process in, in this manner that just makes deals work and close better. And so what I want to look at here is obviously the definition of the term frictionless, right? So it's smooth, it's not impeded by or creating friction. And achieved with or involving real difficulty or effortless. Um, and, and really I'll explain how we what we did in our business and how it changed the way we are we take our message to the market and then how that has generated leads and how we've worked those leads through the pipeline down to the, through the sales process to close. Um, but it was really the turn that 2020 took that forced us to go deep into this process that I'm going to explain to you guys and you'll see what I'm talking about here as I move forward. So when we look at the typical points of friction in the marketing and sales process, there's a lot of them, but some of the big ones that come to mind is just, you know, not enough visibility, awareness or traffic, um, lack of proof, validation, credibility, lack of familiarity or trust that your prospects might have for you. They don't know your business or haven't interacted with you. And then of course, price is always out there. All of these things can be mitigated by this process that, that I'm showing. And I'm, I you know, understand that everyone has a different business, type of business, business model and whatnot. But I do believe there's takeaways in, in this process that we've kind of stumbled upon that everybody can learn and, and, and adapt. The nice thing is, is this is a method is, that has simplified our marketing and it's made it work better with our sales. It's helped us to give more definition to our sales process. So excited to share it. So 
before we go into that, just some prerequisites to this frictionless process is really, obviously you have to, you have to know what you're doing. You have to um, have an understanding of your prospects business, the competitive landscape that they play in, if they have the ability to obviously deliver on your, your products, goods, and services, but also the ability to, to listen and really pay attention to what it is, what the need is that your prospects have and what their pain points are. And then what works really well with this process, as we'll see, is the ability to be prescriptive um, in providing your solutions to the challenges that they face. Um, so I think that's pretty simple. And if you can do that, you're probably good to go. And I would say that you're on the path to frictionless when you can actually articulate your prospect's problem better than they can, or even before they share their pains and challenges with you. That's a great sign that you're on the path to frictionless. And when you can understand and diagnose where and why the constraints that they're facing exist, you're on the path to frictionless. And then understanding how their marketing and sales process works, that's super important to understand you know, where they're at. And I say that we are a growth firm that focuses on marketing uh, and sales, consulting and agency solution services. So in my case, that's what I'm looking for. In your case, it's whatever your business does for your target audience. And then again, the ability to be prescriptive in your solution, so to speak, to your prospect and show how your solution can solve their problem or allow them to achieve their goal. That's, uh, those are all great signs that you're on the path to frictionless. So a little bit more, just to go into more detail on how we arrived at this process. And so we were really looking for a way to differentiate and attract the, the right or better, kind of those ideal clients, right? We had worked with clients that we knew, man, if, if they could just all be like this, they're never gonna all be like that, you know, perfect client that's just awesome to work with and, you know, is always, is, is, is willing to do whatever you prescribe and just fun to work with. They're never all gonna be like that, but man, if we can get more of them like that, of that mold, well, this is what we found going down this road. We've been able to accomplish that to a large extent. And uh, so with that, I'll tell you a little bit about the story of Insidia and how we started and where we are today. So Insidia is, again, we're a growth consultancy and agency. I'll tell you a little bit about the services that offer in a second, just so this all makes sense. But our company was, was founded by Andy Halco. He's our CEO in 2002. So we've been around for a while. Um, he actually was right out of college when he started the agency. He was really focused on web design and development at that point in time. He built intranets and some other tech solutions for clients and really arrived early to the digital marketing game. Um, but ultimately, for a long period of time, we're based in Cleveland and we were a Cleveland agency. That's who most of the, you know, our clients was, you know, probably 90%. Uh, local, and then the other 10% were at least, you know, maybe regional, but that was where we were confined to. And given what we do, we, we don't have to be. And, and given a lot of what's changed in 2020, that's allowed people to learn to, to be forced to embrace working remotely and, and doing things virtually. Um, I think there's a lot of businesses that have an opportunity to expand beyond maybe where they're used to doing business 
Um, and that has certainly been the case for us. So going from that kind of local agency um, branching out, our goal was to, to go broader. So before 2020, our goal was to go broader because what we do, again, doesn't necessitate that someone's local and it's a finite market here in Cleveland. And so we knew that we would want to grow beyond, you know, the region. Um, we did have clients regionally and a few others elsewhere in the United States, but we knew to find the right clients, we we're going to have to be fishing out of a bigger pool. And so there's two sides to the business. Um, on one side, there's a consultancy. And so we come in and help clients um, with their go-to-market strategies that are based on really truly on their business objectives. And so we help with positioning and brand strategy, uh, marketing strategy, sales strategy. We dive into product strategy. We work with a lot, as I'll tell you in a second, software and technology companies. And then we do a lot with data and analytics as well. So that's really the consulting side of the business. That's sort of where we start. And then once we develop all those strategies and game plans, then if our clients want us to handle that stuff, the execution side, we're a full service uh, agency. And so we have a team of, uh, in-house team of designers, developers, account strategists, marketing communications, paid advertising, SEO specialists, et cetera. Um, we're a team of just a little over 20 at this point in time. And uh, we've actually been able to have a team that's essentially distributed. We are, we're all local to Northeast Ohio as of the start of the year. And then that's changed a little bit. So over the past you know, five years, we've naturally gravitated towards focusing on companies in the software, tech, and device space. Um, and a lot of that's a result of Andy our, our CEO and finder, him being a technical founder. And then other members of our team, just having an expertise and passion for technology and software. I will say that over the last two years, this, as we go to market, has been our sole focus. So while we have a few clients that, you know, uh, we, in the legal realm and, and others, um, we still have those clients. And obviously we can build a website and do marketing and all those types of things for those type of companies really our ideal focus is in this realm of software, tech, and device companies. And so this is where we've really, the starting point for defining this friction of selling system is getting really narrow on where we focus. And this is it for us. It has led to international growth. So over the last probably 14 months, 13, 14 months, a little over a year, we've gone from, again, a regional a company with, you know, regional book of business to uh, essentially international. So we do have a, now our team is fully remote, a um, little over 20 people, uh, all in the United States, except we have one in the Bahamas right now. Most are still in Ohio, but we do have two people that are out of Florida. We have somebody in uh, Nevada. Um, we have clients all over the country, New York, LA, San Francisco, Pittsburgh, Detroit, uh, Portland, Indianapolis, DC. Um, number of other cities throughout the U.S. And then internationally, this has been an exciting one for us. So over the last year or so, we've grown, we've added clients in Canada, Israel, Indonesia, Spain, Germany, and Thailand. And so that, for, for us, that's been exciting. That's something that we wanted to accomplish. We've been able to do it. And really, it's in big part to this process. And so 
Our go-to-market approach, um, we have a small team and we had to find a way to create higher volume of quality content and do a lot of outreach. Um, we get most of our, our opportunities come in from search. Uh, we do really well. We, we do a lot of search engine optimization for clients and we, we do it for ourselves. And that's where we get probably 90% plus of our business that comes in. So we have a real heavy focus on inbound marketing and we do have an outbound approach that I'll talk about in a second as well. Um, so it's kind of balancing those two pieces is kind of how we go to market. And then another piece, so not only just narrowing down our focus for that target market and audience, it was really to find our content engine. And so if you guys are tuning in, you're probably involved on the marketing side of things, the sales side of things. And you know that, you know, Dennis is always has a, a lineup of people who are going to give you a ton of great information as it relates to content marketing. Um, social media marketing, but the, you know, that need to create so much content and put messaging out there, be consistent with it, that can be challenging. So I guess the one tidbit for me that I'm going to share on this is that we found a way to create a lot of content, high output, yet stay really laser focused on that audience and give value to them. And we really believe in, you know, SEO is a way to grow in 2021 and beyond. And the reason is this, is, is while there's so many different aspects and ways that you know, you're gonna engage in marketing and, 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 and do a lot of different things to paid advertising and, and organic social and all that kind of stuff, PR, all of it certainly still matters, right? But what we've seen with this approach is that SEO just continues to be the champion for us that really you know, pushes the needle. That's where we see the results. That's where we see the wins and sales and all of that. So wrapping everything else up is important into that approach, but ultimately search is where we're getting the results. Hey, Tony, um, this is Dennis. Can I, can I jump in for just absolutely. one second? We, we have, a, we have a, kind of a comment from me and a question. And I think that it's vitally important. Um, just, you know, the opinion that I have, I see, a, you know, so many agencies out there that kind of don't live their mantra. You know, you go out to your client and you talk about SEO as a strategy for growing your business. And it's really refreshing to hear that, like, that's what you do in your own business. Because a lot of times you ask an agency, like, so you want us to do Google AdWords. How do you get business? And they're like, word of mouth. So it's, um, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's uh, refreshing there. The question that came in is how scary was it to just dictate and decide like we're going from hey we we got to pay the bills to we're going to get real finite and be narrow with our selection on you know from a clientele perspective so there's a lot of people on here and out there and i just did an interview before this and colleen does she's like i do everything and she goes i really want to be just doing one thing but you know, got to pay the bills so how scary was that for you guys that's a that's a great question and it's so common to hear that so um, I think it's a little bit, it was a little bit tempered, a little bit easier for us to digest and really go all in than it is for most, only because Andy had started that process. I've been, I've been with Insivia for about a year and a half now. Um, I, about five years ago, Andy started down that road. And, and so that helped. So we already had a little bit of a footprint, but 
more so than that, in our consulting, we work with clients and that is so often a recommendation that we make to get really focused, to get, you know, narrow your approach, gain more traction there, and then you can break branch out into different areas, but you have to get really focused to create, you know, those wins and that traction. If you're everything to everyone, you don't mean a whole lot to anybody, unfortunately. And so we had already been going down the path. We had seen the results of clients doing this. And so back in 2019, when we, it was really the summer of 2019 that we developed this approach and we really started to put it into play. It wasn't scary for us, but that's only because we kind of had our feet in the water and we're playing with it and we were seeing the results of that and then seeing the results for other businesses, our clients that were really, you know, worked well. And so for us, it was exciting, but I understand again, because we talked to our clients all the time about that, the hesitation, the feeling like you're actually giving up, you're, you're turning opportunities away to go in deeper. And the truth is just, that's not the case. If you're getting all your business from search right now, then focusing on a different target market, that those, those rankings that you have aren't, shouldn't dry up. If you're getting word as you know, word of mouth, if you're getting referrals right now, those probably won't just disappear. But if your marketing approach gets narrow, so the content that you're putting out there and, and the messaging that you're taking to the marketplace, if that gets focused, it's not like you're turning one thing off and turning on the other. So hopefully that makes people feel a little bit better. But it's, it, it's a super common concern. The truth is that once you become that specialist and that obvious go-to, then you can start to branch out into different audiences and grow from there. So it's really a growth strategy, super common to hear that. So great question. Um, I wanna just continue on talking about this content, Andrew, because that becomes so challenging. So how do I start to create all the content that's necessary to get people to understand who we are, to rank, um, to get people interested, paying attention and us not disappear. So what we did was we realized that um, putting together live video, Dennis knows all about it. Dennis is always doing live video webinars, that type of content that people A, love to consume. B, the big secret to that stuff is it's easy to create. Once you get past that initial hesitation, it's super simple to create. And so we created uh, these different series of live shows. And we said, we're going to do them every week. And what we're going to do is we're going to turn on the camera. And it was myself and Andy. And we would talk about these topics. And we knew what we were going to talk about, but we kind of riffed on those topics. And if you have expertise in an area and you get some practice getting in front of camera, we're lucky in the sense that Andy and I have both been doing a lot of stuff video purpose and had to be in front of cameras and had to run webinars and sessions and public speaking that it was not, it was actually easy for us. So we would just turn the camera on and talk. Um, but the reasons that it's a great starting point for a content engine is it, to the points on the screen there, it is uh, fast and easy to create. When you're live, no one expects you to be perfect, right? If you're to record something that you're going to you know, start, stop, edit, all of that, you feel like you have to have the perfect take. When you're live, you just, you, you do your thing and people are gonna understand that it's live. And so you wanna deliver valuable content but it doesn't have to be perfect. So 
It can be quick and easy. It's easy to repurpose. So you take a live video, you can have that transcribed, turn it into an article, you can turn it into a guidebook, uh, some other type of download. You can turn you know, an article into another way around, you can turn that article into a webinar, something like that. So, um, and then all that content, it's all like, it's like search food, right? It's, it's all bait that you're putting out from the search engines to pick up and find and all of that. Um, so you can create different assets from it. You can stay really focused. And then all this stuff is great for social, right? You can take tidbits from the video pieces you do or share the video content. Uh, you get quotes when you're talking to people and all that kind of stuff. And so it comes actually, might not, it may not feel like it if you've never done live shows before, but it became pretty simple for us. So what I want to do is I want to show a series of assets. Um, if you guys, if Dennis, if you could just let me know. So I'm going to show you guys, this is our current show that we're promoting right now. So we do a weekly show. Again, a big target audience for us is, is founders of companies that are software, software as a service, so SaaS. And so we do the SaaS founder show. So every week we talk to a new uh, founder and then uh, we have this series, upcoming shows and other founders, guess what? Like to hear from founders. So this is our target audience to talk to SaaS founders. Um, this allows us to have all these SaaS founders sharing this content on social to kind of grow our footprint and uh, have people that are interested in the show, learning about us, so on and so forth. So there's all that stuff that's in there. But a better example would be one of the other shows that we've uh, put together. So one of the first shows we did was one that was focused. And, and Dennis, you can see this page here that I jumped to. Unmute. Yes, I can. Yep. Okay, so I just wanted to make sure. Website con uh, con conversion. And by the way, when you, I want to jump in once you cover this page. For sure. And so, you know, we look at all the pain points of our ideal clients. Their SaaS is a big one. So we focused a lot of these shows on SaaS. So if you have a software as a service business, you need to get people to your website. You need to get them to convert to either sign up as a lead or to buy. And so conversion is a big topic. The other thing for them is retention, retaining users. If you have someone that's paying monthly or annually for a software, you need them to stick around. So we had another series that was all on retention. And then we're doing the founder show. We've done a few other series, um, but that was the idea. So we created these show pages. Again, we turned the camera on. Andy and I would talk every week. But with that, we had 12 episodes and we kind of thought this out. And so it was really kind of step by step. And we realized the points we wanted to hit. And every week we talked about a different important subtopic to website conversion. So creating scannable, consumable content to drive conversion. Um, and guess what? So we did the show, but we also have an article here that goes into detail on that topic. And we did that for each one. And then creating multiple conversion points to match buying cycles, build amazing pricing pages that convert, so on. So all this stuff here is all related to conversion, but we created out of those shows, we created articles, we created assets to share on social media, um, on and on. And then below that, we have some articles and other things. We also have a webinar that's focused on website conversion. We created from this. Um, again, here's an example of one of the articles, the blog post, essentially. Um, this guidebook that we have here from another show. 
And so we tried to um, really maximize what we're doing here. We put these, uh, we took these uh, video files and we turned them into podcasts. So now they're out there in podcast directories as well. And you can listen to them here on this page. Um, and then we created this killer SaaS website guidebook. So this was the download kind of the companion piece that we actually developed first. And then from that, the 10 principles each became a show. So every principle that had its own show, we did an intro that kind of talked about the series. We did each topic and then we kind of recapped and covered everything for episode 12. So that was our 12 episodes. Tony, did so you guys was, write, did, did, did you write that or did you guys contract somebody to write that? Or, how, or did somebody within your business end up doing the copywriting? How'd it go? Yeah, that's a good question. So really what we did was this, this piece here, so we didn't call it an ebook specifically because it doesn't have enough um, in-depth writing. We actually outsourced the articles. And so every 10 of those principles have an article that goes in into depth. Um, and we hired writers to do that. Mm -hmm. This piece here is more visual it, and we call it a guidebook because it's a little bit lighter. And basically what it was, it's, it's our slides from our show. So sure. every show that we did, we'd have about two or three slides that would go with that, you know, intro topic and then two or three slides go along with that. We put those together, turned it into a PDF. And so there's enough on there to understand the principles, but it's not so in depth that, you know, it's like a really deep ebook. And so this was an easy asset to create, but we believe, you know, you have that as a companion to watching the shows. There's a lot of value in, in context. that makes a lot of sense. It's, uh, it, you know, it, first, um, I mean, I, I, you know, obviously I love it. Um, you know, that's the only way that we've been able to scale our content is with this exact methodology right here of taking a pillar piece of content like a webinar or a live show and and then reinventing it as many ways as that you possibly can and and um you know i applaud you guys for that one the the other thing that I, going into my live show that I didn't recognize beyond the content that I thought we were giving the world this, this amazing content and, and boy, people are gonna soak that up was when I would go out and interview business owners or have them on, when it's what the magic would happen when I would close the computer and we weren't live. If I called you up and pitched you on my marketing services, you'd basically either not take the call or hang up on me and tell me you gotta go. Yeah. And we always say in this role, bring value, get, you know, you got to bring value, you got to bring value. Well, what I found was when I brought that type of value to a potential prospect, when we shut the computer, they wanted to talk for a couple hours and just op were an open book. And I never really recognized the lead opportunity from just even having one person on the show, whether anybody tuned in or not was, was almost irrelevant to the fact that I was willing to sit there and invest the time. Did you guys find that through that series that you did, that that to be the case as well? We did, and, and we're seeing that a lot of the other, the you know, the a few of the series that we did were just me and Andy talking. Um, and so from that, we saw something interesting I'll talk about in just a second. But yes, now we're, that we're doing this interview series, um, we're talking to founders every week. And those are people that could be clients for us. We've also brought on a few of our clients to be on that show. And so, yes, the conversation usually goes on and we've, we've established what are kind of lasting relationships, even with the ones that we're not doing anything with, 
we're keeping in touch with them. They're kind of in our network now and, yep. and that's great. Um, so yeah, that's super powerful and it's a relationship thing. So the other thing I was going to say is just the power of, and I'm sure you see this, Dennis, um, just because you do a lot of webinars, you do a lot of uh, live video content, is just the power of those pieces for when you actually talk to somebody. So for us, we have our shows and all that kind of stuff. People are finding that online. There are different places in the world. They're finding us and then filling out a form. And then I follow up, tell them to book time with me. When we get on the phone, they kind of feel like they know me and Andy. And we're doing video, you know, video conferencing. And so they have this, their guards down because they feel like, okay, we know these guys, what they do. Um, we feel comfortable with them because they probably wouldn't have reached out if they saw our show. Mm -hmm. uh, probably wouldn't fill out the form as they didn't feel comfortable or didn't like something about us. And so the relationship, the acceleration of kind of the no like, and trust is really cool. Because again, they have a sense of, oh, hey, I'm talking to that guy. So they're like excited to talk to us. Um, so pretty powerful. Um, another piece here that I wanted to show. So again, repurposing, we then took basically everything we talked about in the series and did a, a, a single presentation as a webinar, kind of wrapped everything up. Um, and then we made that actually an automated recurring webinar so people can go on, register, it'll give you times. It's, it's basically a simulated webinar, but we still get the questions, we answer in chat when people are on live and all that. So that's been really cool as well. Um, and then there's also, again, I showed you some of the articles. So we have pages of articles on the different topics of website conversion, uh, demand generation, um, uh, retention and reducing churn. So all the things that are challenges and our ideal clients are looking for help with, we have a bunch of content that we're continuously adding more to as we publish articles. Um, so that's, and then the, I think I already showed the podcast page. So all that stuff was generated um, from just doing a single show. And it would be literally, we turn on the camera, we would live stream to Facebook, YouTube, Periscope. And then uh, we would talk about 30 minutes, Andy and I. We knew what we were talking about. We had an outline and just made it conversational. And that's kind of where we got to. All that content was created. And then in addition to that, it fueled our email marketing because a lot of times we were promoting some of these assets, telling people about our upcoming shows, the recaps that were now available and all of that. So that became the heart and soul. Almost everything we did from a marketing standpoint came about from those live shows. So I'll jump back here to my slides. Um, so we, what we realized was by creating these shows, they were, again, once you get past the kind of fear of being on camera, um, quick and easy, yet we were able to deliver marketing content that truly offered value. Um, it, it defined what we were saying were best practices. We we're showing people, here's how you, here's a better way. Here's a way you can walk through this. And we would develop our own methodologies. And so they understood the prospects of reading this were like, oh, wow, that's, I like that approach. That's, that's pretty cool. And then we would show case studies and how we've done this with clients. And so that became exciting. Um, and so it really just demonstrated our approach and our expertise. And again, didn't take a whole bunch of time, effort or anything else. I would say for me, the hardest part, if we were to do everything by ourselves would be the writing, just because it takes me time 
Um, but in this case, as I said, that's the one piece that we, we, um, we just hired somebody to do that for us. And so that became the content engine to create all this stuff that was starting to get ranked and found and people were visiting our site and filling out our forms and all that. So that became the point where we were driving leads from. And so it became the handoff to sales. And so the way we do a prospecting, um, I'll just talk about our outbound approach for a few minutes, but really the big, big uh, two pieces are LinkedIn and email and doing outreach on both, both of those. And so what's cool about that is, you know, people complain a lot about, um, you know, getting obviously getting email spam for years, people have been complaining about that, but then also, you know, LinkedIn spam has become something that people hate, right? People hate getting those unsolicited sales pitches via LinkedIn. Well, we do a ton of LinkedIn, you know, connecting with a sales navigator. I'll do searches, I'll try to find those founders or marketing directors, um, those ideal profiles in the software, tech, and device spaces, and I do a ton of outreach to them. But here's the nice thing. In my outreach, I'm not pitching to them. I'm engaging them. I'm inviting them to, guess what? Look at all the assets that we've already created and we continue to create that helps, to, that helps them to get to know who I am, who Incivia is, um, understand what we do and we work with companies like theirs, helping them solve a lot of the challenges that they have. I'm inviting them to, we have a couple different groups. We have a, our SaaS growth hackers group on LinkedIn. Uh, we share a bunch of stuff in there. All of the shows that we have, all of the other content, the articles, the, the guidebooks, and all, you know, webinars, et cetera. Um, and all of it, we're never selling. So it's all conversational. It's all inviting into our universe, into our network, and kind of warming them up essentially. So that is really the prospecting touch. And then we let the machine kind of go and take it from there. Um, what we found is really important is once that lead actually comes in, whether they find us on their own or I engage them, we engage them as a team, and then they end up consuming our content and filling out a form. Um, what we found, and this is something we played around with quite a bit to get it to where it is, and we're always refining and fine-tuning it, but for the most part, um, having a, a structured process in place was really important. So um, having a structured uh, discovery to diagnose their challenges and so on and so forth, uh, the follow-up that we do and how we you know, send to, let, to share with them the overview of all the solutions and capabilities um, all the way to the point of proposal and closing. So that's um, helped us a lot is really being structured in this uh, in, in the way we go about it. So first of all, a structured discovery meeting. So that's the first point. Lead comes in, I reach out to them, I send them a, a Calendly link or whatever you know service you're using so they can book something uh, on the calendar. And that call is exclusively focused on them, learning about them, getting to understand what their challenges are, and very mildly sharing with them a little bit high level about Incivia, what we do, where we play, you know, the role we play in and all of that. And then once we understand, and, I, and I, at the beginning of the calls, we typically tell them, we say, hey, here's the goal. We want to learn all about you. We'll tell you a little bit about us. You might have already learned about us. But if it sounds like there might be a business fit, what I'd like to do is really understand what the challenges are. We'll follow up with some things so you can learn more about us. But then we'd like to schedule a, a next step 
as to understand, to make sure that there is a good business fit and dive in a little bit deeper and how what we do aligns with what your challenges are. And then we can take it from there. If it makes sense to go any further, then we put together a customized proposal, so on and so forth. And that essentially is our process. So the discovery is really focused on them, learning about them. And then when we come back, the subsequent steps, we're understanding them um, very specifically what their challenges are, and then we can talk to them. And that guides what are the resources that we send along and the case studies we can share. Big part of what we've focused on, I would say the last six months is really shifting to storytelling. So every step in the process isn't just um, what we do, you know, we can do paid ads and we can help you with your position. No, it's telling a story. Who's a similar client that we have? Maybe similar in size, maybe similar in industry, maybe similar in challenge that we've worked with that we can say, hey, let me tell you the story about data ideology or ITS, these different clients that we have, or Gojek, um, and why they came to us, and it sounds a lot like you, and what we did for them, and how that worked out. And so that's helped a lot, is doing a lot of storytelling. So um, let's see here. Let's jump ahead to our next one. I just want to say, I do want to share some other things. Let me... Um, I guess I do want to show, so in follow-up, so here's what we typically do in the follow-up process. We actually put together, so discovery, learning all about them, and then from there, as soon as we get off the follow-up, we typically send something like one of those assets. If we talked about, hey, they're having trouble with converting leads at their website, we'll send them that, that uh, this killer SaaS website guidebook. We'd send that. We have a number of these different types of guidebooks uh, we can send along. That's right after the call. We thank them for their time. And then usually uh, next day or so, we send to them this solutions guide. And so this is just a page we created and it really talks about kind of what Incivia does, what we're all about. And it, it tells the story. It's, you know, our 18 years in business, the different things that we do. Um, our strategic consulting, and then again, a lot of proof and validation. So this is probably the biggest company we worked with. We started working with them last December. They're a $10 billion company out of Indonesia. They found us because the president of one of the divisions, there's a series of divisions there, somehow found our, like our content and sent it over to their VP of Merchant Services, Diera, who was our primary contact, and said, you need to, you know, you know, you need to read these articles that these guys are putting together and you should reach out to them. Um, I, we want to work with them. And so they contacted us and they had a challenge. They had a, um, an offering there. They have a super app and it's, uh, you can order food. It's kind of like if you combined, you know, like Uber, Uber, so Uber Eats, Uber, um, and another other number of other like merchant services and things into one uh, like app that kind of does it all. Um, that's what this app is in Indonesia. It's massive. So they had a challenge that the app does so many things, they had a hard time articulating what their value proposition was because it was almost like too much. So we had to streamline and simplify that for them. And that was a really fun project. So we include the story in here. Um, we try to do this in all of our touches is tell some of those stories. And then really explaining the different packages that we have. And so something we do is early on, we show our price points for some of these things. And not some of them, like all of them, brand, identity, and stuff like that. Go into marketing and sales, and it talks all about the way we do inbound and PR, advertising, all this stuff. I have and to tell you, Tony, that's very bold um, and very transparent. Like, there is 
you know, there is, I think that in all of my time, I don't know many agencies that, that obviously, you know, are this transparent with it, really. And, and, and yeah, this, and this, so this is something that we were probably a little more scared to do than um, even going really focused. Because again, we kind of had a lot of proof and validation for us to take that dive to go really deep and narrow into the software tech and device space. But this, but showing our pricing and early on, this was a lot more kind of gave us more pause. But then we thought, you know what? We would rather put it out there because if they don't have a budget, if they're not even close, then let's figure that out first. Um, it's, you know, they're, they're either self qualifying or self disqualifying. And to the flip side, if they thought we were reasonable, good. And we knew they would book that next call with us to talk if we were ballpark. Um, and I would say our pricing kind of related to most of the agencies that end up being competition for us, we're kind of middle, mid, middle of the road or we're not super cheap. We know that, but we're not that outrageous, you know, cost that some big agencies can, can get away with. And so we, um, we tried it and it has worked. And so, yeah, it was kind of a scary step to take, but we wanted to put it out there. We do believe that because we're so focused, we can get away with that. Because if we're, we're talking to someone that, if we're talking to someone that is looking at options and they have others who are cheaper, in most cases, they don't have the experience in the realm that we do. And if they're talking to someone that's more expensive and, and bigger, then we can be more agile. So we like to take our weaknesses and make them strengths in other ways. So, um, but anyway, so this kind of paints the picture of how we work, um, what this, you know, we do a point system is for our retainer services and try to explain that with, uh, you know, some visuals and whatnot here. So when they get to that business fit call, there's no like shock value about uh, our price points or anything like that. They have a sense, everything we do essentially is somewhat customized. So these are kind of common levels that um, our clients are coming in at, but it, it gives them an idea. So that's, they get that about a day after they talk to us. Um, and then from there, they book a business fit meeting where we talk more about those things. Okay, so you're interested most in talking about our consulting for uh, positioning, repositioning you guys in the marketplace, and then a marketing strategy. And that'll be phase one, and then maybe down the road, agency services, website, whatever. And so we get really focused. And then we have that deeper conversation during that business fit meeting. And then if that goes well, we say, great, we're going to go ahead and put together a proposal that is, you know, customized to this conversation. And then we send over that and that has more precise pricing and scope and all of that. Um, and then one of the last uh, points here that I want to talk about is how do we improve the closing rate? And so something we had to learn to do is just how do we, sometimes it was um, closing challenges became couldn't get uh, a lot of times just hung up in, in getting clients to act faster, um, getting them to really, really have a sense of comfort with us, maybe in their industry or whatnot. Again, a lot of what we did has already helped with that. But for those reasons, what we did was the heavy proof and validation. So a lot of case studies um, and just showing work we've done, a lot of storytelling, a lot of you know, uh, diving in deep and showing work we've done 
and approaches we've take, taken with other clients that are similar to them. So in some cases, we'll bring up our deliverables from a consulting engagement where we redefine brand positioning for a client and their marketing strategy. And we'll actually pop that up and say, well, here's the client that we told you about is similar to you guys. And here was their starting point. And this is what they used to look like and how they went to market and their value proposition and all that. And here's the exercises we went through. We explain how that works. And here's what we came up with. And they'll be like, oh, wow. So they get, it's, we're validating the process. We're not just saying, oh, we have this process where we can learn about you and help you have a message that matches the market and what you know their needs are. We actually show them how we've done that before. Um, and then uh, again, to the point of using the weakness as a strength, uh, earlier this week, the last deal that we have, it's a pending contract, so it's not closed yet, but we found out that this client, um, they are, they were looking at us and somebody else. Well, on this call, where we went through our, our proposal with them, we found out they're talking to Gartner. And um, we thought, okay, that's uh, pretty interesting, right? Massive company. Um, so we used kind of our weaknesses, smaller, lower price point, all that stuff. We can really partner with this client probably for longer term and really understand and really focus on them better than a, a big, you know, massive organization like that can. Now, obviously there's things that they can deliver a lot of that data and intelligence that we probably can't touch. I mean, we'll probably pull some of that from them because we were upfront. We have clients who do that right now, um, but we tried to flip the weaknesses and turn them into strengths or size. And then using time scarcity, something we've started to do is on our proposals, we'll let someone know when it's custom, we're talking directly to them and their challenges. We're answering those challenges with our solutions. And we're saying the pricing that we're putting on here um, is good for 30 days from today's date. And a lot of that is valid because a big piece is, is capacity planning for us. Because we're not massive, we have to say we can only take on so many new clients. And so if we have a couple of deals in the works, we may not be able to get to you. So here's where it's good till if you answer, you know, and, and take action by then, let's go. If not, I can't guarantee that we're going to get you right into the cycle. So really trying to get people to act faster because that's been one of the challenges for us and kind of how we did that. All right. So a brief recap before we get into just some happy to open it up, answer questions, learn about favorite movies and all that. Um, really what this process has done. So hopefully you guys get a sense of, of a bit of what we're doing and how it's done and, and hopefully have some takeaways. But here's the, here's ultimately what the outcome is, is our prospects that the ones that are super close to those ideal prospect clients we already have, they're finding us, they're consuming our content, they're learning from us and seeing us as credible, as experts. They're actually getting to know a little bit about us and, and like us because they see us and hear us talk and all that kind of stuff. Um, and there's a familiarity there. And when we do talk to them, there are, there's a level of comfort and then we're talking to them and we're laser focused on them and their challenges. We're not all you know bloviating, talking all about us and what we do. Um, and then when we do talk about us, it's big picture and we're telling stories, we're using a lot of proof, validation, and ultimately trying to find clients that for us is gonna be a partnership. So it works for them in the long-term, works for us in the long-term, that's a win-win for us. And so that's what this process has really allowed us to do over the last probably 18 months, a lot of trial and error, 
but we've gotten to a pretty good point. Um, last thing, I was working on these slides last night and my daughter came in here and I showed her some of these animations I have in here that I thought were funny. And then she said, Dad, you should tell them, you know, they need to, to now she's 11. And she says, don't blend in when you were born to stand out. And that comes from one of her favorite movies called Wonder. So I thought that was a good note to end on. So with that, guys, um, that is all I got. My email is here on the, on the page. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn if uh, you, know, you, you want to learn more about this process or, or in Civia. Um, Tony, you got, access to the, you got access to the chat if you do. Uh, cool. while, while we take some questions from the audience, you go ahead and uh, throw, it, throw your LinkedIn profile in there and any other information. Then obviously when we wrap this up, um, you know, we've recorded it. We'll make sure that your contact information gets put out there as well. Um, I really appreciate everybody jumping on the webinar today. It's a great deal of information, a wealth of information. Um, we, have a, we have somebody on that basically says, I have a client whose business is, is so defeated by COVID. And so, so that you know, and I guess you're not alone. <laughs> so, um, no. you know, I don't mean to laugh. I, I, I have to laugh because we've had about a 70% impact to our business this year, um, you know, because of obviously the situation. But any suggestions when trying to engage youth? And I dug a little deeper and I said, well, what, is, you know, what does that mean? And, and he says he works with a nonprofit. Um, he works with a nonprofit and it's been very difficult to engage a younger audience because schools have gone online and remote and there's obviously so much computer usage going on that there seems to be maybe the question is more along the lines of fatigue with a, a younger demographic. Are you working with anybody seeing that and or just anecdotally have some ideas off the top of your head? Yeah, so I guess the challenge is like the fatigue of. And, it, and by the way, it happens to deal with web as well. So that's what they're, they're just basically saying. Can you, I said, can you elaborate a little bit more? Um, So yeah, engage youth for web. I think it's really important just understanding that audience. So this is where we kind of start with everything is, you know, understanding the audience. And obviously, I don't know exactly what, what, who the target is here. It's, it's youth. I understand that. But where are they spending time, that audience? Um, what is their, their goal there? And starting to play in that sandbox. So if it's youth, you know, you, you got to get on. Instagram. I, 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 I immediately, I immediately, um, you know, you got to go fishing where the fish are, right? Absolutely. And so I, I would, I would strongly look at like a TikTok strategy. Um, I don't say that to everybody, but like, if you, you, you know, you're looking at it, like, I almost think that even you're going to potentially miss them with Instagram, but I look at developing a TikTok strategy, one that's not geared towards advertisement maybe you can go find somebody, an individual in their own demographic and just basically put something in their hands. Um, my kids are still consuming a, a, a lot of YouTube as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but, you know, it's funny. It's like, it's difficult to tell what's going on with YouTube and the endorsements that a lot of these YouTubers are taking because they don't necessarily aren't always transparent with it. But a lot of the videos that they're watching have to deal around gaming, um, like the Twitch type of audience, 
and I know that there's a ton of product placement and annoying voices from the people that, I don't know why on YouTube, you have to have an annoying voice in order to be able to get a kid's attention. But um, I just, I look at my own kids. Um, I know that the 11 year old, we've put TikTok in his hands and we, we try to do our best with monitoring that. And then I know that they, you know, all the kids, including the three-year-old, you know, on up seven, nine, 11, they're consuming a lot of YouTube content. Yeah. And, and I guess the point is that once you understand where they where that audience is, it's also delivering content that's going to be valuable and interesting to them. So we can't just take a wholesale approach to, you know, here's my content for different channels and here, you know, what I have for LinkedIn is going to the same thing that's going to TikTok, right? Because totally different audiences. Um, I'm, something that I would suggest, and I get that, that's an interesting one um, about the fatigue, right? Because kids are sitting all day on the laptop and they probably don't want to be there. So maybe the digital engagement is down a bit. Um, my thought is, okay, if, 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 is there a way to engage the influencers, who, which would be probably the parents, right? So if you can't engage, the, if the kids are challenging or you're working on that strategy, the other side of it is how do you engage uh, the parents and how is there an inroad there to the kids as the parents are the influencer? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, it's definitely, you know, it used to be, you know, the, the um, cereal at the grocery store was at eye level, you know, the sugary cereal is at eye level for the kid that tugged on the parents, you know, coat and said, hey, I want that cereal is done by design. And now that the cereal aisle just happens to be in your bedroom and it's on YouTube. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. Funny, I was just telling my daughter about the cereal boxes, the toys, and you know, that's used to be why you wanted the cereal was because what was inside and that's what <laughs> parents bought, right? We should, she's like, really? So yeah, that's a good point. That's, that's what YouTube and TikTok and all these places are today. And then, and then, and then from there it becomes building kind of the mousetrap, um, you know, back to the website eventually, you know, what is it going to be? And I think, um, and, and just trying to figure that out. I mean, that's everybody's challenge, regardless if you're in a nonprofit or for-profit. Um, you know, uh, getting a, attention is a challenging thing in a, in a noisy world. But I think that, Tony, I think speaking to your point is that as you, got, as you guys became more focused and streamlined in identifying your audience, that ultimately ends up helping it as well. Yep, for sure. Yeah. Uh, something, uh, another thing that I would add is, you know, looking at web and engagement on, on via web, um, it's real important. I think it's easy for people, this goes to that conversion aspect. It's easy for us to think about, um, you know, that sale, that, that transactional step, whether that's you sign up, purchase something online, or it's you book time to talk to Dennis so I can see if, you know, uh, you know he can help me out. That's where everyone puts their attention on, but we have to realize that that's the smallest 
portion of your audience is ready for that stuff. And so engagement has to be there. And so your experience at your site needs to speak to all the levels. And so we typically recommend that there's kind of three levels of conversion on any site and, and should be throughout the site in many different places. So something for everyone essentially. So the first one is the lowest level of commitment. So that's for like newsletters and things. You actually they have to offer something compelling. You can't just say sign up for our newsletter. That doesn't work anymore. But that value that, okay, if I do that and I'll get some value, great. Um, that's for those people that are just starting to look or they're not you know ready for that that uh, to take that, make that commitment just yet. And then there's the people who are kind of researching and figuring what's out there and which way they want to go, but they're not ready to buy, but they're, they're comparing. So they're looking at you and they're looking at others. And so you should have something that is a, a, another, another step, a little bit deeper commitment for those people. So things like webinars and calculators and you know, surveys, those type of things tend to be that second level commitment. There's a bunch of different things you could do there. And then that last step, which is the one that most people focus on, but again, that's the obvious one, that's the sign up now or book a demo or whatever it is, depending on what you're, you're doing. But think about those first two segments as well, because there's, I mean, they're gonna turn into those buyers, but you gotta move, you know, you gotta nurture them along the way. Tony, thank you so much, my friend. It's great to see you, even uh, even virtually. Uh, wow. Rather be in person, but soon enough, my friend, we'll get together. Um, I wish you and your family a safe and healthy, happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you guys, you and Monica, and um, your lovely daughter. Um, we will be back next Friday with the MLO Bros. They're in the mortgage industry, taking a blue blood industry, turning it on its head, and doing some really fun stuff with their marketing, they created a Facebook group and it's a community driven group. It's a community driven group. And um, they've got a live podcast a couple nights a week and they just do some of the funnest stuff that ultimately, like they did a big turkey giveaway on Thanksgiving and it's um, equating into opportunity for them as well at the same time. So looking forward to having them on. Tony, thank you for all the time that you, you put into this today. Really, very much appreciate it. Hopefully you grab Tony's contact information in the survey, or I'm sorry, in the chat. When you leave this today, there's gonna to be a survey. I'd love for you to be able to take it, give us some feedback as to what you think um, about, obviously, uh, Tony's talk, the do live virtual sessions. And uh, thank you everybody for dropping on by today. I hope everybody has a great weekend. Stay safe, we'll see you. Hey, thanks for having me, Dennis. Say hi to the family and thank you everybody for joining, I appreciate it. Thank you, Tony, great job.